Let's stand together, could we, in honor of God's word? It's just two verses today. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Father, would you open up our hearts to what was in your heart when you created us, when Jesus died for us. Lord, would you open up that place in us that we can't open ourselves. Lord, I know people will understand in their minds what I'm saying, but there are some things that if our heart doesn't get them, we will remain unchanged. So would you come? Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our eyes, heal damage that is keeping us from everything you have for us. We love you, we praise you, we will, we will certainly give you glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so it's called, the title of the message today is The Bride. Point one is the mystery. So the word mystery can mean different things. One definition of mystery is something that is unexplainable. There are many things about God that transcend understanding. There are many things you take by faith and it is a mystery and his ways and thoughts are so much higher than ours that we can't figure everything out. But there is another word, another definition of mystery and that is what is used here. This is something that has been hidden and is now revealed. Paul said this is a mystery. He gives the, the traditional marriage passage and he says this is a great mystery, but this was always about Christ and the church. It was not just about natural marriage. It was about what was in God's heart from all eternity and is now, only now, being revealed. This is about Christ and the church. So God likes mystery. So here's how his ministry starts. Jesus, his first miracle, the introduction of his ministry. Wouldn't you think that the first, the first miracle would be him casting out a demon and showing his authority over darkness? Or maybe the first miracle would be a crippled person or a blind person from birth who he heals and he shows his authority over all sickness and disease. Or, or maybe his first miracle would be him speaking to nature and calming the wind and the waves and showing his authority over nature. Or possibly, wouldn't this be the great, a great first miracle? Raising the dead and showing that he came to overcome death. But that's not the first miracle. In John 2, John tells us this is, this is the first miracle that was done. It was changing water into wine to extend a wedding celebration. Isn't that weird? Why would that be the first miracle? At a wedding to extend a wedding celebration. Huh. So then early in his ministry, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus' disciples and they, they're troubled and they say, why are you guys not following the fast that we are following? And Jesus answers and he says this, how can they mourn when the bridegroom is among them? Now, 
Jesus was always saying stuff. The disciples had no idea what he meant. And just, I mean, they're just like, what? What? Right near the cross. This is right at the end of his teaching ministry in Matthew 22. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a king that is giving a wedding feast for his son. And then in that parable, we are those that are invited to the wedding, that that all these invitations go out, and to be invited to a royal wedding should be such a privilege, but people are too busy, and they make excuses, but but we we are those invited to the wedding in that parable. And then a few chapters later, it goes to another level. The kingdom of heaven, once again, is like... 10 bridesmaids. Now this time, not only are we invited to the wedding, we're in the wedding. I mean, what an honor, what a privilege. And there's five wise and there's five foolish and it's all about were these bridesmaids getting ready for the wedding. And then finally, Paul says, this is what all the wedding talk has been about. This is a great mystery. But the original wedding passage in Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This was about Christ and the church. So immediately, you've got to go back. That this is, this is what it's always been about. We just didn't know it. Now, here it is, revealed. We are, we are the ones that Jesus is proposing to, to be his, his bride. And that when God put Adam into a deep sleep and reached into his side and formed Eve out of that rib that came right out of him and then gave this declaration that the two now will become one, willingly one. They, they, were, they were both in one. I, t- I reached in, I pulled out one, so I made two. But now I'm calling you willingly to come together and become one again, that the father, even at that time, saw the day that his son would go into a deep sleep called death and that he would reach into his side with a Roman spear and blood would pour out. And by that blood that he would fashion a bride. Wow. And then we have John in Revelation telling us these words. I'll read it to you. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is the consummation of this era of human history. It is ending not with a competition. It is ending with a wedding. The purpose of this current time is romance. Jesus is proposing to the human race. He is inviting people to be part of his bride. So that's point one. Point two, last point. It's a long one. (laughs) The bridal identity. I believe that the bridal identity is the most difficult for us to grasp 
and it is also the most important identity, and, and you'll see why. It is the most powerful identity that a believer has. Number one, the bridal identity has nothing to do with sexuality. It has to do with position. It has to do with a position that God wants us to have close to his heart, sharing his throne. It is an authority that transcends children. Children of God, uh, we're still learning, we're still growing, but the the, the bride, children don't get married. (laughs) Children grow up and get married. The bridal identity is is a greater identity and it holds greater authority than mere children. Secondly, this is another reason why it's hard to understand. I'm not a bride. I am part of the bride. So it's easy to understand servanthood. I'm a servant of God. I am a child of God. But I'm not a bride of Christ. To be in the bride, I have to be unified to my brothers and sisters. There's only one bride. The two are becoming one. The two, one is Christ and the other is the church. The church together, the church in unity, the church embracing one another to, to grab a hold of the bridal identity. You can't do it on your own. You gotta, you gotta be part of something. Listen to the tremendous authority of the bridal identity. Here it is, John 17, 21. Jesus is praying that all of them may be one father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This oneness, he's praying that the two will become one, that we will become one with each other, and that we would become one with him. Father, as you are in me, may we be in them. May there be this union, this oneness between us and them. Then the world will believe. The world will believe, not when we tell them about Jesus. They will believe when the church is one with one another and one with God. This is what this is all about. The most powerful identity is the bridal identity. That's why in Revelation 22, John says, the spirit and the bride say come. There is an authority and there is a power when the bride becomes one with one another and one in union with God's spirit and God's purpose that is explosive, that is drawing, and that is... Uh, it, will, it will draw the world. This is how the great harvest will come in. It will not come in apart from us grabbing a hold of the bridal identity. So let's look at our identities in Christ. First, of course, we are unworthy servants who obey God. He is our master and our lives will give an account to him. The main issue here is the fear of the Lord. God has a right to judge me. I am a servant. I obey God. Secondly, We are favored children who believe God. He is our father and has chosen to adopt all who believe in Jesus and give them an inheritance that includes all heaven has. Finally, we are a beloved bride who delights in God. Jesus is a bridegroom in the human race is being proposed to. Here here is the difficulty of the bridal identity. 
you can command a servant and you can teach a child, but you can only win a bride. The bridal identity, it's, it, it's, it's much more subtle. You have got to let God win you. So I was working on this message and I recognize that the great need of the church is to experience the fierce love of God. The fierce love of God. Look at this verse in Ephesians 5, right before the bridal one. Here's what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish or whole, but holy and blameless. Notice this. He loves the church. He gave himself for her, not because she was holy, not because she was beautiful, not because she was without spot or wrinkle, but to make her that way. The, the fierce love of God has nothing to do with how good you are or how much you've done or what you think about yourself. Or this, is, this is the pure, unadulterated, fierce love of God for you. The Bible says it this way, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing you can do that makes God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God's love is fierce. So last Saturday night... I'm in Baltimore. We're with Matt and Shannon, and and, uh, and but I'm 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 grappling with this message on the bride, and I'm like, God, how are people supposed to believe in your fierce love when the world is so indifferent? Guys, everything about this world is indifferent. Think about nature. Nature is indifferent to you. There's floods, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, and they happen randomly and everywhere, and it, they, they just happen. Jesus said it this way. He said the winds and the waves are going to crash against every life. It's, if it hasn't crashed against yours, get ready. Because it, no one, anybody living in this life is going to be subject to nature just the, the indifference of nature. Think about the indifference of genetics. People are just born. They're born with vulnerabilities. They're born with brokenness. They're born with diseases. They're born with this thing and that thing. And, and it's completely indifferent and it's not fair. And it's everybody, why do I have to be like this? And why do I have to deal with this? And why? Well, it's, it's indifferent to us. And then, and then there's all these people on earth that are almost all indifferent. You want to look good for them, and they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about how they look. And you, you deal with it, and people get hurt, and they're in pain, and so they become less and less about reaching out to others, and it's more and more about just me. And so indifference, indifference, indifference. I'm like, Lord, how, how are people supposed to believe in your fierce love when this is the darkness? We live in the darkness of indifference. So here's what happened. So I wake up early Sunday morning. This is last Sunday morning. And I just, just to be absolutely honest, I am not sure if I received this as a dream or if I got this. You know when you wake up before you have coffee? 
you're just kind of in that lull state, and, and I, don't know if, I don't know if it was that, or it, but here's, here, was, here was the picture, whatever it was. It was a silk screen that came down, massive silk screen, and it was a two-way mirror. If you're familiar with those, where you can, one side can see clearly and the other side can't see the other side. It's like a, an interrogation room where they got that window and the, people can see in and see what's happening, but the people being interrogated can't see. And so it was this silk screen that was a two-way mirror and God with his fierce love is on one side and he can see everything. He can see everybody perfectly. And on the other side is Humanity. And they can't see God. (laughs) All they can see is the indifference of life around them. And so what God does is he tells a few people on the other side, I am real and I fiercely, fiercely love you. The words he uses is that he's a jealous God. And he gives, a few, he gives a few commands to these few people and says, don't make any idols because I, my, I, I, I'm, I'm fierce. I'm fierce in this. And, and stop hurting people. And that, that silk screen, by the way, I call it a veil. And I have a plan for the veil. I want you to know I have a plan to remove the veil, but all, that's all you get for now. And so... Uh, I'm fully awake, I get my coffee, I get out my journal, and before I even read, I always read the Bible first, but before I do it, I'm like, I'm gonna write this down. So here's what I wrote down. I brought, I actually tore out a page from my journal just to, so I just read it just as it is. A silk screen. He can see us, but we can't see him. A veil. I'm here. Even though nature is indifferent and people are indifferent, I'm here and I see you. People used to see me, and nature used to be friendly, but a tragedy happened called sin, and it put up this veil. There's a plan for the veil, but until then, believe in me and stop hurting each other. I'm coming on the other side of the veil in a form that won't scare you. You will see me with your own eyes, but the veil will now be my body. I'll see you closely but you won't see me because you won't recognize me in that form. Then the veil will be torn, my body. I'll also tear down the veil in the temple at the same time so you will know that something has changed. I will then be able to come and live inside of you and open the eyes of your heart. Others won't see me. They will experience the indifference and lies about me But you will see me and know the truth, that I love them even as I love you. So I'm writing this down, and I'm having my quiet time, and all of a sudden, I get a text. I know exactly what the text is, because every single Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, Jeff Martin, a pastor in our fellowship, he's from this church originally, he's in Chatech now, he prays for me and prays for City Church every single Sunday morning, and he always tells me what he's praying, and he's always got the scripture. So he sends me this scripture, and to this point, I write this thing down like it's a prophecy, and it's like, but if you've ever, you know, with the prophetic, you're not sure. Is this, is this just me? Is this really God, or is this just me? 
And, and so I've got this written down, and here is the verse that he sends me. It's Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. I'm like, oh my, God is crazy about us. He gave himself up for us. And now he washes us with the water of his word. He speaks to us, not to condemn us, but to clean us and to beautify us. And so how this happens in an indifferent world is there's just a really important text about the bridal identity. It's found in Hosea chapter 2. And here's, here's verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God takes us into the wilderness. The wilderness is a lonely place. It's a dark place. It is a hard place. It's often a confusing place. But something happens in the wilderness of our trials and tribulations. Pain opens our hearts. Pain opens our hearts. It's amazing how hardened we can be by prosperity, isn't it? Everything's going our way. We just kind of, we're just like, everything's good to go. And, but God will use the wilderness to, to open our hearts in a way maybe that it couldn't have been open otherwise. And here's what he's doing there. He is going to speak. You say, well, what's he sound like? A, th- a thousand different ways. He speaks. He speaks in the wilderness. If you'll open up your heart, God, what does all this mean? Speak to me. God, if you fiercely love me, speak to me. What does this all mean? And then something changes. Look at verse 16. In that day, that day where we encounter God's tenderness in our wilderness, you will no longer call me master. You will call me husband. Something is going to change inside of you. And it's going to fundamentally change your identity. You, you're not going to just be a servant anymore. You are, you are going to be this bride. I am going to win your heart in the wilderness. I am wooing you so that you will know my fierce, fierce love. Exodus 34, 14 is a powerful verse. Here's what it says. I, the Lord whose name is jealous, am a jealous God. One one translation says it this way. I, the Lord your God, am passionate about my relationship with you. His name is jealous. It's not like he is jealous once in a while. He is fiery love. Deuteronomy 6 says this. He says, have no idols, for I am a jealous God a consuming fire. When John sees the resurrected Christ, here's what he says. He had fire in his eyes. It's just very hard for us to grasp what fierce love is because we have such indifferent love. We love God, kind of. Sometimes we're just going through the motions. Sometimes we're, you know, just showing up. But this is intense, fierce love. 
This is, this is, Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you, Ephesians. The Ephesians are already Christians. They're already good Christians. He says, I'm praying for you that you might know, and the word there for know is experience, by experience, by intimate experience, that you might know the love of God, that you might know the height, width, length, and depth, and then grow into the fullness of God. You can't grow up in the fullness of God without a revelation, a greater revelation of his fierce love for you. It is scary to be loved that much by someone. And here's the thing. It's in his name. He can't turn it off. He can't, he can't just say, ah, I just don't love them. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't, no, he just does. God, please turn it off. No, I can't. It's who I am. And as we encounter, it changes us. We become more and more filled with the fullness of God. So I was with a brother this week and we had a mutual acquaintance. He was much closer to her than I was. And I say, what about her? And she, he says this. He says, she's definitely a Christian. She goes to church. She's a Christian. But the relationship thing hasn't clicked with her yet. And I'm like, what a great way to say it. <laughs> Something's got to click. <laughs> and you can't make it click for somebody else. How many have tried to, get, to, to make it click for other people? It's just like, I want you to see what I'm saying. Until that click happens, it's really hard to even understand what worship is. And what are, the, what are these songs? Why, do, why does the lights have to be down? Why, were the, why are the lights down during worship? It's hard to understand that. I'll tell you why they're down. Romance. Worship is a time where we let God love on us and we freely love him back. It is not about, who's at church today? I wonder who's here today. I, wonder, I can't believe they wore that outfit. No, we have the lights on so you can't see. You don't even know who's here. Why? This is, t- this is a time. But, but until you have the click, it's like you just don't really get it. You, and, and no one can tell you it. it. It's just God needs to open something up inside of you. And, and, this, and, and I, I, I get it. It's hard for men. Men are like, I can do the servant thing. I can do the child thing. I'm not doing the bride thing. Well, it's going to take you out of your most powerful identity. It's going to take you out of the identity that, that moves demons, that, that heals the sick. Please, guys, it's okay to not get it. It's okay to not be clicked. Just, just acknowledge it and say, God, click me. I, I, give me a revelation. I, I, need, I need to go farther than I am, and I can't do it without a, without a revelation. So frustrating for Americans. Americans, just teach me, teach me, teach me. They can't teach this. This is a revelation. This takes the humility of flesh and blood did not show this to you, Peter. The Father revealed it. All right, last story. So I'm, I'm preparing about the ending of this message and, and what am I going to say about, about the bridal identity. And uh, I remember a story, and it's in my devotional, if you have my devotional, but it's, it's when I was in Montevideo, Minnesota. This is probably the early 2000s. And I'm going through a series in the book of Hebrews, and we are, we are in Hebrews 12, and it's about we're in this race and run with, with patience, the race that is set before you, putting off the weight and the sin that so easily besets you, and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's, so it's early Sunday morning, 
It's very dark. I've got all the lights off in my office, and I'm praying. I'm, I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm, I'm getting ready for the altar call. I'm getting ready. How am I going to do the altar call? What am, what am I going to do? Because the last story that I'm telling is about this pastor in Kansas City who he had a son that was in kindergarten, and this, his son was the fastest kid in his class and the class race was coming up. All the grades had this race and to determine the fastest one. And he's got, my kid is the fastest kid. And so he want, every dad wants his son to win. So he pulls his son and, and see, there's a problem with the son. Even though he was really fast, he was also really distracted. And he, he couldn't run straight. He, he would either get distracted by himself or he would get distracted by other people running, but he would always, he would always get off course. So the father says this, listen, son, here's how we're going to do this race. I'm going to get at the finish line. I'm going to stand directly across from you. When they say go, I don't want you to pay attention to yourself and I don't want you to pay attention to anybody else that's running. I just want you to run right into my arms. And so... I'm going to end my sermon with this. What's at your finish line? What are you really running at? Are you running at money? Are you running at comfort? Are you running at entertainment? Are you running at sex? Are you running at uh, some type of uh, the opinions of others to be, to be liked by others? What, what are you actually running for? What is at your finish line? And I'm just, I'm, I'm pacing back and forth and I'm like, this is going to be good going to be really good. I love this. And a question comes into my mind. Here's the question. What's at your finish line, Tom? I was insulted. (laughs) I'm a a pastor. Jesus is at my finish line. Of course, Jesus is at my finish line. You know Jesus is at my finish line. But I know that somehow that's not the answer. And so I say, Lord, tell me what's at my finish line. Here's what he said. Influence for Jesus. Isn't it? It's so subtly close to Jesus, but it's not Jesus. It's what was at my finish line was influence for Jesus. Now, when that thought came into my mind, I immediately knew two things. And I don't know how I knew them. I just knew them. But I knew the price that I'd paid. There were two prices I paid for having influence of Jesus for Jesus at my finish line instead of Jesus himself. Here are the two things. This is the price that I paid. I had lost my delight in God and I had lost my delight in people. Let me explain. When what is at your finish line is influencing people for Jesus, you have to ask the question, how many is enough before you can be delighted? Is it the church had about 250? Is it just influencing 250? Or is it the town had 5,500? Do I need to do the whole town? But really, 5,500, what is that? A a million? Would a million? Can I delight when I've influenced a million people? No, it's it's a carrot that you never get to delight because it's never enough. It's never enough. And then with people, oh my when, 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 when influence for Jesus is at your finish line, you have an agenda for everybody you're with. If they're not saved, they need to get saved. 
And I'm just waiting to work it around and get that, get something in there for Jesus. And if they are saved, but they're, you know, they're kind of nominal Christian, I want to get them on fire. I'm just waiting for my time. Get them on fire. Got to, got to lead the conversation. Let's talk about your heart. And, 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 and if they're on fire, now I need to train them. I need to get them into their call. I need to, and, and you, you, you can never enjoy people. And then one more sentence. This is brutal. He says, I want you to have the influence of a bride in love, not the influence of a PR man. Now, my brother owns and runs, and for many years, he's, he's actually kind of semi-retired now, a public relations firm. Let me tell you what public relations is. PR means public relations. Public relations, man, is in charge of managing the message and managing the reputation of the one, whoever's hired them, you are a PR man. Vote for Jesus. I'm, my job is to put posters up for Jesus. My job is to explain everything that you're having trouble with Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's really nice. He's really good. Yeah, I know that bad thing happened, but you need to vote for him. You need to get on his team. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you kind of become this answer person for Jesus and to try to make Jesus look good to others. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need a PR man. God is in charge of his own public relations. What he wants is for us to be, to have the influence of a bride in love, that we are so captivated and so delighted in him and that we can see his image in other people, even before they're Christians. We can see what God's doing, what God has placed there. We can delight in people just as they are. Now, here is the funniest thing. This is crazy. Did you know that the people that influence you the most are people that are not trying to influence you? When you feel like somebody is trying to influence you, you become very suspicious and cynical. What's, What's the agenda here? Makes you very defensive. But when you see someone that's just like they are and they're not, they don't have an agenda for you, they just are that. It's real. It's like, oh my, they really are that. This is not just what they're doing. They they are that. So here's what happened. These last couple years have been all about revival and awakening, and I did the history of revival on Sunday nights, and, and the Lord just gently through this vision, whatever, that I had years ago, that I was just back in that same place. Lost my delight in God, lost my delight in people because now revival and awakening was at my finish line. Listen to me, revival and awakening is just influencing people. That's what that is. And it's a trap. To make that what you're running for is always gonna put the delight out there. And I'm like, really, God? Really? Are you sure? And then I I go back in my journal and I see, oh my My journal is filled with secondary intimacy. You know what secondary intimacy is? When your intimacy comes from how you touch somebody else. Somebody else had a testimony. Somebody else had an experience because you prayed for them. And and my journal was filled with secondary intimacy. Not my own account, but stuff God did through me. And it was filled with 
my assignment of God, I'm, I'm speaking at this thing and I'm praying for these people and I'm gonna meet with these people and God come and do it and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with praying for your assignment, but listen, if your assignment is your identity, then, then you're gonna be in trouble because what if God reassigns you? You're not gonna know who you are. You're gonna be Tom Brady and Brett Favre that you retire and 40 days later it's like, I have no idea who I am. I'm going to get back in. I, I can't reassess this thing. I, I don't know who I am apart from this assignment. So God wants to free you and free me, praise God, from our assignment. And he wants us to be the beloved bride of Christ. He wants us to have that burden off of our shoulders. You don't have to be God's PR man for your children. You need to believe. Here's, put the, get the Bible open and you gotta, you don't have to be the PR man for your, for your work people or for the people that you love or for your spouse. Oh my, please don't be God's public relations person for your spouse. Trying to manipulate everything so that they'll vote for Jesus. The first commandment is to love God. The second commandment is to love people. If you ever reverse those, you're gonna burn out. You might work for a long time, but eventually you're going to burn out. When the first commandment is first, it has in it energy, guys. It has delight in it. Delight is, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Isn't that right? There is, lovers will always outwork workers in the long run. It might be messier. They might not do it right now, but they will, they will work until Jesus comes back because it's, it's out of love for Jesus. So here's what I realized this morning. Do you know what the mission statement is for City Church? It's, it's right out, you go out this, these doors and it's, there's a skyline of Madison and our mission statement is there, here's what it is. Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. Do you know that the mission of this church is to call people into the bridal identity? <laughs> the mission of this church is to create an atmosphere where Jesus can win. He can win hearts. He can win us.